on, family? Happy Wednesday, and welcome to another edition of the Faction Quick Hits. It's your man, GB Gerard Bonner, and I hope you guys are doing well. Hope you have had a fantastic week so far, and that your Wednesday is off to a fantastic start. As we always do, a big thank you to all of our friends and followers who support us on social media at the Faction Show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Definitely hope you guys are following. If you're not, hit that follow button and you can stay connected with all of our updates and news via social media. And of course, a big shout out to everyone subscribed to our podcast. And of course, if you're not doing that already, hit the subscribe button and you can be among the first to get notifications when we drop new content by way of podcast. Okay, so there's definitely a lot to get into and I wanna kick things off by talking about the ratings from from Monday Night Raw. Now, what most may or may not have realized is that Monday Night Raw was battling week one of the returning NFL and Monday Night Football. And as I was wondering, why are they stacking this card this way? It's because it's their first time going head to head. And of course, head to head in the pandemic, no fans in either space, or at least for WWE, you've got the Thunderdome situation, what would happen? Well, Monday Night Raw did indeed see a slight drop in viewership uh, compared to last week's episode as they drew in 1.689 million viewers compared to last week's 1.725 million viewers. Now, let's consider a couple of things. For one, the NFL had two games on ESPN, the first one being the Steelers versus the Giants, which did 10.762 million viewers. And then the Titans against the Broncos, which did almost 7.7 million viewers. So with that said, I still have to say I think WWE Raw did a fairly good job. I mean, to lose less than 50,000 viewers to the NFL on Monday Night Football's debut for the new season that's a pretty big deal. So congratulations to uh, WWE Raw. Most don't think a drop in the ratings is congratulatory, but when you're looking at the juggernaut that is the NFL, it is indeed a big deal. So congratulations to them. And it was a pretty big situation uh, that saw tag team champions battle with the SmackDown tag champions of Shinsuke Nakamura and Cesaro taking on the Street Profits in a non-title match. We saw Dominic Mysterio in his first cage match against Seth Rollins. And then we saw Drew McIntyre take on Keith Lee. But what everybody's talking about is the Raw Women's Championship match between Asuka and Mickey James. And if you watch the show, you'll understand why they're talking about it. Not because it was such a great match, even though it was, it was about the very weird ending that took place. The ending that saw Mickey James literally flipping out and reversing uh, the Oscar lock into what looked like a pin, the same kind of pin that uh, won Bret Hart the Intercontinental Championship at WrestleMania 8. The problem is, in the middle of the pin, the referee stops the match. In a shocker to Mickey James, Asuka, and all of the announcers, Mickey's looking like, what are you talking about? And the referee says she cannot continue. Now, how does this happen when it's very clear that she's working? It's very clear that all of these things are making sense. 
So there's been a lot of scuttlebutt about it. Uh, a lot of folks felt like we just saw the Thunderdome screw job uh, of Mickey James. Mickey James on Instagram said not this way, which certainly indicated being screwed. There are multiple reports that are coming out about it. So firstly, Mick Foley said that he heard that she blew her shoulder and that's why the referee made that particular decision. Um, there are other reports that say, well, in fact, she is okay. She was not injured at all. So it's all sorts of wondering why on earth this situation happened. So the new belief is that, in fact, she sold the injury so well that the referee felt like, oh, snap, she's injured. Let's go ahead and stop the match. It was a crazy, crazy situation, which you've got to hope that at some point there is some redemption for Mickey James. Personally, I felt like it was a, a really bad scenario for a six-time former champion, particularly right after that for her to be ushered out of the ring. And here comes Zelina Vega looking for a Raw Women's title match. Now, it would make sense if Zelina was an actual competitor. She's been in the ring a couple of times, but mostly she's been managing for the last couple of years. So how does she jump the line after such a horrible match that happened, or at least the horrible ending to the match, to now be in title contention? It's a weird space, and it all speaks to kind of the controversy around Monday Night Raw right now. The fact that since Paul Heyman has not been in charge of the creative of Monday Night Raw, Monday Night Raw has just been kind of a weird space. Raw Underground still hasn't really gotten its footing. You know, it's been uh, a couple of months now since we've had Raw Underground. I still... Still don't understand the real premise for it. Like we don't have set up matches. We don't have really what decides a fall, what the rules are. We don't really know anything. It's just guys getting up in there and randomly fighting as we saw Braun Strowman show up for Raw Underground. I'll also say that what WWE particularly Raw, is lacking is continuity. And WWE's always struggled with continuity. So now all of a sudden, the SmackDown Tag Team Champions show up on Raw, and it's because there is a quarterly invitational that allows you to show up on another brand. Well, we haven't really seen this since the pandemic. So where did it happen in the second quarter? I don't recall seeing it. In fact, what I saw was AJ Styles involved in the Intercontinental Championship Tournament from Monday Night Raw, only to ultimately be traded to SmackDown and win the Intercontinental Championship. So it's kind of a weird thing happening with WWE, still kind of making up the rules as they go along. It's not necessarily the best thing. And speaking of making up the rules as you go along, uh, we have seen a number of scenarios where WWE superstars and talent have tested positive for COVID-19. We got word earlier this week that Booker T tested positive for COVID-19. But the intriguing thing about that was he actually tested positive in June, but just got the results back this week. So there's a lot of issues with that as to why it takes so long to get results from a COVID-19 test when both WWE and AEW, though they have varying testing methods, are able to get some actual results in a fairly quick manner. So 
just to understand there are two very different ways that AEW and WWE are testing. On the WWE side, Superstars are instructed to arrive at a parking garage a day before the taping. They're given a nasal swab test, then they leave and they are sent a text message to let them know the result of their test. If they test negative, then they're given their plans for the next day's show. Meanwhile, AEW sends their talent to an off-site facility on the morning of the television tapings. They have blood tests and results come within minutes. Then they're given a wristband if they test negative and nobody gets into Daly's place without a wristband. So couple of interesting things it is believed that the test that AEW does the blood testing is a far more expensive and conclusive test but and it also checks for COVID-19 antibodies it's confirmed that they're still doing a finger prick blood test for COVID while WWE is still doing the nasal swabs now I find that to be interesting because one would think the WWE has more money, and they obviously do, to be able to do uh, more conclusive testing, but it kind of speaks to the fact that we don't know how concerned they really are, and I'm not casting aspersions, I'm just saying very clearly, for something this serious, you would want to make sure that you have accurate and conclusive results um, as opposed to potentially putting people in harm's way. So I'm not really sure why their testing isn't uh, more extensive, but I think AEW gets a lot of props for doing this the right way and ensuring that all of their people are safe. Speaking of AEW, they have been the first among the major U.S. promotions to welcome fans back. They've been doing it at 10% capacity, 15% capacity, and uh, certainly the Daily Place is large enough for them to be able to exercise social distancing while bringing in fans to check out the live action, and certainly that has added to what they're doing. So they are now offering something very interesting called the Dynamite 7 Season Pass. Now, this is for the fall season, so televised live events in September, October, and November at the Daily Place, beginning with the upcoming show next week on 923, which is September 23rd. They're going to offer seven events for a total of $175. That's pretty awesome. So if you're interested in that, you can uh, send an email to ticketing at jaguars.com or you can call the number 904-633-2000. Again, 904-633-2000. And you can go to an AEW show and you can get a season pass. Listen, $175 for seven shows comes out to about $25 a show. You can't argue with that. And if you are fiending for some live wrestling action, AEW is the place to go. Now, we should also note that WWE has apparently put a team together to try to figure out how they can get fans at a live Raw and SmackDown. And there's talk of them trying to do that in an outdoor situation. So this will be interesting to watch and see if they're able to get it. Let's just be very, very clear that uh, WWE is not the same without live fans. And yes, the Thunderdome is really special. But we also know that with the Thunderdome, 
They're pumping in crowd sounds, etc., etc. And yes, watching from the comfort of your home is certainly one thing, but I think we all love being live in the arena for what's happening with all things WWE. So that's how things are looking in that regard. Of course, tonight we've got uh, the Wednesday Night Wars seemingly resuming as Dynamite and NXT are going to be battling each other tonight. Uh, it's the first time that they're battling each other in about two months, thanks to the NHL and NBA playoffs. So it should be a very, very interesting night uh, for both shows. Lots of unique things are happening. And I want to throw one more thing out there before we get out of here. The group retribution. Um, We're starting to see and hear some things that we've not seen or heard before. We're hearing them start to talk now. We're seeing kind of the whites of their eyes, so to speak, as opposed to full masks. And I know from watching, I identified at least two folks in there, Dominic Dijakovic and Mercedes Martinez. It's also been rumored that Mia Yim is a part um, and a few others as well. Where this group is going to go, I'm not sure. I'm hearing that we may not see who they actually are until perhaps Survivor Series, which seems a long way away. But uh, the question has to happen, what does Retribution have to do to be deemed successful? Right. So, of course, they started with the whole, you know, invasion of things. Then they've now moved to doing kind of promos from some undisclosed location. We need to understand what's happening. So I want to ask you, what do you think retribution has to do for them to be deemed a super successful faction once we discover their identity? Who needs to lead this group? Who needs to be part of this group? Should this group be uh, former employees or former superstars who were released during the pandemic? Should it be disgruntled superstars from NXT um, and the Performance Center who perhaps didn't get their shot and didn't get their break. Now, when you think about folks like Mercedes Martinez, Dominic Dijakovic, Mia Yim, none of them have held titles in NXT. I think there's a story that can be built. They were all great independent wrestlers who have struggled to find their footing in WWE, and they've decided to take matters into their own hands. I could write a whole scenario for this. Um, I want to know your scenario for what you think Retribution needs to do. Who needs to be the leader of this group? Do you think it needs to be a legend, perhaps a legend that was released? Um, Do you think there's another mind already in WWE that could effectively lead this movement. Let's get your thoughts on retribution. Let's get your thoughts on uh, coronavirus testing for AEW and WWE and your thoughts on the Dynamite 7 season past coming from AEW. Want to hear your thoughts on all of that by way of social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Faction Show. Stay connected and stay tuned. We've got great content coming your way this week, so be on the lookout for that. And again, if you're not subscribed to our podcast, go ahead and click that subscribe button. It's going to make all the difference in the world as you'll be able to get the notifications when we drop new content and the like. Go ahead and rate us and leave a comment as well. And until next time, we look forward to connecting with you on behalf of my good brothers, Courtney Beard, Brandon Clack, and the fourth horseman, John Murray. It's your man, GB, Gerard Bonner, and together we're known as The Faction.